She was a feisty child, always curious, asking questions. And then around the age of four or five, she discovered that wonderful word, why. She asked why about everything. At first, her parents wanted to practice patient explanations. But when you start asking things like, why is the sky blue and why is water wet, you eventually give way to saying, that's just the way it is. She kept asking why, sometimes out loud, sometimes to herself. But when the boys in her village started school and she was not allowed, she asked why out loud. Her mother told her this was the tradition. Well, why? Well, you better ask your father. Her father rebuked her, telling her that this was ordained of God, that her proper role was cooking and having babies and bringing honor to her husband in the community. The role for boys included education from the rabbi, preparing them to be honorable people and lead in their communities and to be the heads of their household. And she asked, why would God do that? Her father grew angry and told her, no more questions. You're just making trouble. Do as you are told. And she shut up. Her mind still questioned. They made a pilgrimage one year to the temple and she made her way into a crowd of men moving toward the holy place when a heavy hand came down on her shoulder. This is not for you, he said. It's only for men. Did you not see the sign warning you? And with pretend innocence, she said, oh good sir, I was never allowed to go to school. How could I read a sign? The older man said, it's not for you. The court of women is over there. That's your place. She grew up believing that her father loved her, but had a nagging feeling that he was disappointed in her and would eventually figure out that it was simply because she was born female. She chafed at staying in her place. Her own sister told her she'd be happier if she just accept the way things are. But she said to her sister, don't you have any dreams for yourself? Why, why did the boys, the men get to do things that we don't get to do? What does a beard have to do with that? Her sister just turned her head and walked away. And looking at her sister's back, she felt terribly alone. As she grew older, the parents of the boys she'd grown up in the same village with came by to check her out, see what kind of a wife she might make for their sons. And she might bear many children, and hopefully a boy, to see if her mouthy reputation had calmed down and she'd do her husband honor. That night, she stuck a blanket in her mouth and cried herself to sleep. 
A day came when they had a visitor with a huge entourage, an itinerant rabbi with 12 followers, 13 people, hospitality was highly valued. Her sister starts slinging food everywhere. She's got to feed these people. There was a time when 15 Amish people showed up at our house to be fed lunch. We had about an hour's notice. Thank God for Costco. <laughs> they didn't have Costco. There was a lot of work to be done to feed these people. But then the rabbi assumed the position of rabbi to teach. And Mary, who'd been standing on the, at the edge of the room, suddenly there's a question that just exploded in her mind and said, why not? And she sat down at his feet in the posture of a student. And the men gasped at this breach of etiquette, this violation of their religious rules. But the anger came from the kitchen, from her sister. Make her do what she's supposed to do. But Jesus said, Mary has chosen. Against the odds, against the religion, against the culture, Mary has chosen. the pushback came from her sister, who in the story is the spokesperson for the culture, the traditions of family, the traditions of religion and region. My freshman year at Georgetown College, the Georgetown College football team was quite exciting to watch. And at home games, people cheered wildly. And when Georgetown would score a touchdown, the band would strike up Dixie, and the fraternity would wave a Confederate flag, and everybody stood and cheered. One African-American young woman remained seated. At this time, when the religious culture around her kept reminding her she didn't belong. I can still see her in my mind, alone and vulnerable in that crowd. And I look back from this vantage point and I think how composed and how courageous she was. She chose. Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat to a white man on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama. She chose to step away from the soul-crushing norms of the Jim Crow era and help to ignite a civil rights revolution. Ms. Parks said, people always say I didn't give up my seat because I was tired. The only tired I was was the tired of giving in. She chose. On Friday, we hosted hospice chaplains here in our commons. I was leading their retreat, and I had asked them to talk about the most difficult place they had been with each other in smaller groups and talk about where they saw God in that place. And when they reconvened, we asked them to tell one from each group. And an African-American woman told a story, and I asked her permission to tell it today. And she said, okay. 
She told of working with this family in the hospital as this parent was dying. She rendered pastoral care to them. And afterward, they were appreciative and they asked her to do his funeral. And she did. And they had asked her to do the graveside service and she had agreed. But she began to feel some trepidation at the funeral home as she met other members of the family, the extended family. One who after the service stepped up to her and called her the N-word and said, you did okay for a N-word. They drove out of town and she had not asked where they were going. She just followed the procession. A procession of pickups with Confederate flags and racist bumper stickers and family members with hideous vile sayings on their t-shirts. She called her husband because she didn't know where she was. He stayed on the phone with her until they lost cell phone contact. She was painfully aware that she was the only African American in the midst of a vile group of people. And she saw the trees and saw them in a different way than I have ever looked at trees. Nobody has ever lynched my ancestor on a tree. She did the graveside service, terrified. And she pronounced the words from dust we came, from dust to dust, ashes to ashes, and pronounced the benediction. And one of those men stepped into her space and called her the N-word again and said, now get. In the midst of threat, in the midst of her own fear, she chose to own her calling and render the pastoral care she had been asked to give. I don't know that she can yet say where God was in that, but I see God in her, and she chose. This past week, a 10-year-old girl impregnated by a rapist has been in the news. Some started out by saying it was just a lie. And people who do not believe victims of trauma re-traumatize those persons. They don't seem to have a moral pulse. But she found help from a compassionate OBGYN in Indiana, a woman who herself has been threatened with the abduction of her own child. This doctor gave her the care that she needed. This doctor chose, and the attorney general has smeared her. Nevertheless, she persisted. She chose. 
The first century culture that Mary faced was thoroughly religious, and this thoroughly religious culture was a squelching culture. We need to ask about what kind of religion is it that keeps people locked in a role that's defined by somebody else? What kind of religion diminishes people? What kind of religion robs people of their own agency? What kind of religion justifies slavery and Jim Crow laws or opposes equal rights for women or sets limits on the dreams of LGBTQ and who people can love? What kind of religious culture passes laws to limit the voting of people of color? The pushback against freedom and equality has come from religious people. Far too many clergy have sanctioned injustice and brutality with a theology that focuses on the sweet by and by and ignores the broken folks at our feet needing our love and mercy and justice. Mary stepped into that room and chose the posture of a student learning. Too many clergy assume an arrogant position of standing over and judging those they do not understand. Native Americans had LGBTQ persons in their tribes and they regarded them as two-spirit people. And they thought of five genders. The two-spirit people were revered. They were often tribal leaders and esteemed for their wisdom. And if parents died, they turned to them to raise the children. A Lakota chief would say that they were honorable and considered special. They were considered teachers of their children. He said they were proud of these members, and proud of what and who they are. And then Christopher Columbus came And when he encountered two-spirit people, he had them thrown in the pits with the war dogs so they could tear them apart. And when the European missionaries came, they sought to change two-spirit people, persecuting them, driving them away from their people, away from their homes, and making them outcasts. Religion that diminishes people, that judges and persecutes, and that demands that people stay in their prescribed place All of it was there when Mary stepped into that room. But Jesus blessed her and silenced them all by saying, Mary has chosen, and that will not be taken away. In 1969, Kurt Flood was an all-star outfielder for the St. Louis Cardinals, and I think most of you weren't even born in 1969, so... You're going to need Google for that one. Kurt Flood had won the gold glove for center fielder seven years in a row, making him the best defensive outfielder in baseball. But there was a reserve clause in contracts at the time that gave all the power to owners. And once you run that team, you couldn't get off. You weren't free to negotiate contracts for yourself. You weren't free to seek employment elsewhere. 
They owned you. And Kurt Flood wrote to Commissioner Bowie Kuhn, Dear Mr. Kuhn, he wrote, after 12 years in the major leagues, I do not feel that I am a piece of property to be bought and sold irrespective of my wishes. I believe that any system that produces that result violates my basic rights as a citizen. Kurt Flood led the way to free agency, and I don't know what you think about baseball player salaries. Personally, I'm just envious. But no team offered him a contract, even though he had a lifetime batting average of 292, which is outstanding. He only got to play 13 more games. Because you see, he was an uppity black man. But he chose, and he paved the way for others. Whether sports or business or religion or politics, there are those who are motivated by greed or power or misguided ignorance, and they fear the Marys of the world who claim their seat at the table. And they discount this Jesus who said, Mary has chosen. And Jesus blessed her right to make her own decisions. He blessed her right to think for herself. He blessed her right to dream. He blessed her right to be whomever she chose to be. He blessed her daring to transcend the cultural bonds that made her a kitchen slave. And I thought about this this week. I, I keep asking myself, why is it that religious people oppose someone else's right to choose, their freedom? Well, maybe like me, you grew up and you were taught that there are lists of what pleases God. I mean, the old offertory offering envelopes had those six points you checked off. And you could make 100% pretty easily just kind of by showing up. But such a definition of goodness was so limited. It didn't ask about mercy. It didn't ask about forgiveness. It didn't ask about how you practice kindness. It didn't ask if you loved your neighbor. It didn't ask if you sought justice for the downtrodden. But it let you feel like you were good. Or maybe like me, you learned neat categories about others. And so we could categorize people by their color or by their language or by their ethnicity or by their orientation or by their education we could define them as less and ourselves as more and better. But when we do that, we pave the way to do anything to them. And it is the way the Nazis thought and continue to think. Or perhaps the great fear is taking that personal inventory and facing my own flaws it's so easy to locate problems out there and pass judgment on it, and much harder to take a look at the darkness within me, because those places are scary. So hard to say I was wrong. And this week who claimed that the 10-year-old is just fake news, 
have yet to say they were wrong. Or maybe it's the fear of losing one's place. What happens to Martha? I mean, if she's wrong, she's given her whole life to this doing life one way. And what if that's not right? How does one overturn all the assumptions they've made and all the practices of life? It's a big change. Be whatever the reason, be aware of religion that oppresses that fears just who you might become. I've wondered, where did Mary come by this courage because everything stacked against her? But if you read Gospel of Luke as a a whole story, you see that just prior to this, Jesus has told a story where the half-breed Samaritan, not the guy on the margin, the guy so far on the other side of the margin, They don't care about him at all, but he's the hero of the story. And in the previous chapter, Jesus, when they're debating about who's the greatest, Jesus places a child next to him and says, you got to receive the kingdom of God like a child. And the least of these is the greatest in heaven. But they didn't value children, not like we do. Children couldn't contribute anything. Only as they grew and could take on chores and can do work were they valued. And so in that world, Mary can see people who are valued by Jesus, who are not valued by the culture or by the religion, and she takes heart. These indicators of the bountiful love of God and dared to believe that it included her. She chose to believe in her own possibilities. Because of this love, she could reach down in her own soul and grab hold of that courage and hang on for a wild ride. And what's interesting here in the Greek language, the word chose has to do with an ongoing action. It's not just this one choice Jesus blesses. It's that Mary chose and she gets to keep on choosing. When we know, when we know that we are loved, we are free to choose. And may we discover the courage to embrace who we are created to be. Amen.